0: Hello
2: 40s. There's going to welcome to episode number 622 of Locked on Raptors 4 Friday, December the 13th. It's Friday the 13th. (laughs) Spooky. Hey, I'm Sean Woodley, your host, uh, from Raptors HQ and, uh, you know, all the places you find me, author of We the Champs, all that good stuff. Uh, you can find all of the Lockdown Podcast shows wherever you get your podcasts on iTunes, such as Spotify, Google Play. You can follow me at Woodley Sean. You can follow the show at Lockdown Raptors. We can find links to every single episode. I have my typical script for the more, for the opening of the show all out of whack because my brain is fried. It's because it's Friday, but whatever. Uh, on today's show, we're going to try to calm people down a little bit, I think. The Raptors have been not terribly good lately. And people are losing their minds, pointing fingers at Kyle Lowry, of all people. And joining me to uh, help talk people off the ledge a little bit is our pal from CBSSports.com. You see him on CBCABSHQ, is that what it's called? Like the nonstop streaming service all the time? It's James Herbert. What's going on, buddy? <laughs> uh, trade Kyle Lowry,
1: fire Nick Nurse. Trade Pastor <laughs> Kelsey Ockham, let Fred VanVleet walk. Just, just, you know... It's time to start a rebuild shot.
2: <laughs> no, the take is that Fred Van Vliet is better than Kyle Lowry and is the only player really worth anything on the team. Um, you know.
1: Well, you you certainly can't blame him for the last two games. That's that's for sure.
2: Or can you? Is he a coward not playing <laughs> through a knee injury?
1: Oh yeah, you're right, you're right. That that's that's the problem. If they had a stronger willed uh, player <laughs> in Fred Van Vliet, then they would be fine.
2: The notoriously he's
1: clearly a wimp.
2: Yeah, the notoriously weak hearted Fred VanVleet yes. can't even stop bleeding when he gets punched in the eye. Like, what the hell? Unbelievable. Disgusting. Uh, <laughs> how you been, man? It's been a little while since we had you on the show. We were talking before. I do believe it's been since before the Raptors became NBA champions that you were on the, on the podcast. Uh, and for that, I apologize to the listeners. And I apologize to you for not having you on to uh, bask in the glow after the championship. What was the championship like in uh, in Brooklyn for uh, a displaced Torontonian?
1: Uh, well, I, actually, I was in Toronto when they won. Like, I was literally sitting, like, next to my mom on the couch huh? when they won in Golden State. I was at the finals games in Toronto, but I, I was not sent to uh, to Golden State. So, um, yeah, I, I had the experience that probably a lot of our listeners had in that they won. I, well, I didn't immediately go walk the streets. I finished working on the the story uh, that I was writing. (laughs) And then I just walked around Queen Street for a while. And there were a lot of people yelling and screaming. And there were a lot of just drunkards in Raptors gear, uh, having a great time. So so yeah, I, I I was there. I was not there for the parade, uh, but I was actually quite happy to watch that from my couch in Brooklyn comfortably, <laughs> uh, because from everything I heard from uh, the people who went, both media and just like friends of mine, uh, in in Toronto, it while it, it was an unforgettable experience, uh, it didn't sound like it was the most comfortable
2: no. uh, experience there. No. Yeah, I was like <laughs> maybe in the think the dead center of the route. And it still was too long. I, I didn't do the square thing because I'm not a maniac. And nothing good <laughs> ever happens at Nathan Phillips Square. But, uh, yeah, the parade. What a, what a fun time that was. Things were so good back then. Now the Raptors are trash. <laughs> <laughs> a 200 winning percentage since Kyle Lowry came back. Can you believe it? Ugh.
1: <laughs> it's, it's a little weird. I mean, I, I will say, like... I did not expect the team to get worse when Lowry got back.
0: Fair.
2: <laughs>
1: Just saying, I did not expect that. Um, but, I mean, in retrospect, like, it's pretty easy to justify a little bit of rust. Um, the three-point shooting that the Raptors had uh, for, I mean, pretty much the whole year until the last week and a half was way higher than anybody would have projected going into the season, uh, especially when you take Lowry out of there. Um, so, I don't know. Like, they're, they're probably not... Quite as good as everybody was saying before this little streak, but they're certainly not as bad as um, the the kind of recent reaction to this stuff uh, would indicate. Like I personally, like I only got around to watching that Clippers game this morning because mm-hmm. uh, I I was at a different game that night, and I, I've had some other stuff I've been working on since then. And I was expecting it to be a lot worse for the Raptors. Uh, they, they, I thought, for the first quarter and the first bit of the second quarter. They were playing quite well, and then uh, a bunch of stuff happened, and they, they kind of lost their mojo offensively. I, I think that affected their defense a little bit uh, in in the second quarter. But then, I mean, to their credit, they fought back. They brought it to within five, within five in the third, and then kind of the same thing that happened in the, in, in the second quarter happened. And look, the, the Clippers are a really good team, and would you want to see a more complete effort from Toronto in that game? Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, they, they missed Fred Van Vliet, though. And uh, I think uh, in those two kind of key stretches, he would have been nice to have their have out there on the floor to just kind of structure their offense a little bit. Uh, there were some uncharacteristic turnovers or in some case, maybe characteristic turnovers uh, in that with, with Norm Powell, the, the Norm Powell that we know and love. Like what he does is kind of either awesome or terrible. Right. And, yeah. and that, that you, you saw both in, in the same game. And so, yeah, like, I, there were some kind of bad decisions from Ananobi uh, in that game offensively. Lowry and Ibaka shot the ball horribly. Uh, but I, I didn't think that was all bad. Uh, and I don't think that this past week and a half uh, is some sort of ominous sign for, for things to come either.
0: This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. Sometimes you and I need that kind of support too. think of State Farm like a pivotal team player when you need help protecting the things that matter most. Remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
2: Yeah, I made this point uh, on the podcast with uh, Katie Heindel on Wednesday night after the game that like it seemed as though in that one, despite the 20 point disparity, It seemed as though there were more moments of sort of knocking on the door of breaking out of the slump than there had been in previous games. I mean, the the Bulls game entirely was trash. The Sixers game (laughs) outside of the last five minutes was uh, pretty uninspiring. And going back to last week, it was... Probably that first quarter was probably the best quarter they played since the Jazz game, and they looked really good. And then the third quarter looked pretty decent at the start, too, when they kind of changed their defense up a little bit, went one-on-one with OG on Kawhi and Siakam on George a little bit more, as opposed to just, you know, kind of putting themselves behind the eight ball by trapping Kawhi with Paul George and Lou Williams also on the floor, (laughs) and kind of realized that wasn't really it. And yeah, I... And you know, no one's going to be surprised to hear this from me, the guy whose it's fine uh, motto has been directly quoted two t- two different times on the Raptors HQ main page this the last two days <laughs> by two different writers. Um, but I do think it's probably going to be all right, and there were some signs in that Clippers game that were pretty encouraging. But, you know, like there are certainly things to keep an eye on and some red flags that are popping up, and I think it's probably smart to maybe sort of walk back to oh this team could definitely make the finals talk that was going on when they were 15 and 4 and Siakam was torching up everybody he was coming across and so let me sort of pose a question to you James I think there are like probably three or four things that are really glaring as far as reasons why the Raptors have been struggling over the last five games I think number one Siakam has been a little bit less decisive, looking a little bit less like a tailor-made number one, a little bit more dependent on the surroundings to try to sort of take advantage of his many, many skills. Um, so there's that. There is just, I guess, the the clunkiness, clunkiness of the half-court offense, which I think t- is tied into, into Siakam a little bit and also just tied into, I think, Just, you know, working Lowry back in and kind of finding the hierarchy and Fred not being in there. I mean, Fred would have been so handy against the Clippers with Kawhi on Lowry. I mean, you Uh you mentioned Norm. Like, Norm is fun, but he's not Fred when it comes to just being steady and not throwing the ball away indiscriminately. (laughs) I would never use the word
1: steady to describe Norman Powell. I would use so many different words to describe Norman Powell, who, by the way, has had some unbelievable moments this year, and I think... Like by and large has been very good. Yeah. Uh, but steady, steady is just not it. Like,
2: <laughs> no. no. <laughs> so there's that. There's the half court issues. There's like the three point shooting coming down, which is tied into all of it, I think. Uh, and then there's the defense, which I think, as good as it's been, and they're still number six, whereas the offense has fallen down to sixteen, which is kind of wild. But the the, the defense uh-huh. is still very good but i think there have been some cracks shown in the very hyper aggressive stylings of nick nurse of late and in particular against the clippers and we saw it against the rockets when the role players got super hot and you saw the limitations of it and you know i think there might be something to the idea that the amount of energy that defense requires to keep up at a full you know 48 minute level is maybe bleeding into the offense as well and sort of leading to all of those other issues between siakam and the three point shooting yeah. and everything else So for you, of all of the things that are ailing, and maybe there's something else I haven't mentioned that's sort of sticking out to you, is there something that you view to be the most serious and or most detrimental to the cause of the Raptors potentially kind of getting back on track here and rediscovering something closer to the form they had over the first 20 games as opposed to what they've had over the last five?
1: Yeah, I, I think I I think by the way you're onto something with the the just sort of the energy it takes to play that sort of defense like there is a pull I, I think in doing all of that scrambling and being that focused and locked in it's mentally draining uh, the the defense that they played because it hasn't just been one style of defense they've switched it up so often in game between games um, they've there's been so much talk about all of these traps that they've thrown against superstars, but, I mean, they've also played various different types of zones. Uh, they, they switch uh, a lot because they have the personnel to do that, and they should do all of this, but I think part of the reason why Nick Nurse was seen as uh, the favorite for Coach of the Year uh, by a lot of people uh, is that the defense that they were playing, by doing it so many different ways, like, they're kind of trying to scrap and play above their heads, mm-hmm. and they, they had been. And it, it is hard to maintain that over the course of 82 games. It can be hard to to maintain it just against one good team with two superstar players and some other quality players around them. like like the Los Angeles Clippers, like you, you wanna mix it up. Um, but uh, uh, against elite players, especially once they've seen it before, like the game ends up slowing down for them and they can make decisions and they can get guys open shots. and uh, a lot of the defense that they've played has, has been very effective in terms of getting the ball out of star players' hands and making role players make shots. But if they're making shots, if the team is, like, from a in a broader perspective, kind of in rhythm and anticipating what you're going to do, then suddenly it becomes tougher. Uh, so th- that that is one thing. And this is a very long route to answering your original question, which is what is the most sort of concerning or the most reflective of a, a systematic issue? And I actually don't think that's a defensive end. I, I think it's the offensive stuff, but I, I think it, it's sort of, a combination of uh, the Siakam stuff you mentioned and the broader offensive flow. And I, I think this team kind of, when when you just look at it on paper, you would think it doesn't have as high of a ceiling offensively as the Raptors did last year. And mm-hmm. you would think that they're kind of reliant on playing a particular style and finding rhythm and getting an advantage uh, through their movement or through, one guy beating somebody else off the dribble, but then all the other four guys are kind of moving on the outside or they're cutting at the right times. And, like, the reason why the Raptors were so much fun to watch, like, for me, the single most fun to watch team in the entire league up until 10 days ago, 11 days ago, whatever it was, is because their chemistry on offense was amazing. Mm -hmm. And they were playing at not just a fast pace, but kind of at a fast tempo, even in the half court. And it, it, it was sort of like... Um, at their best last year and uh, oftentimes honestly when Kawhi Leonard wasn't playing mm-hmm. last year and then before that in Dwayne Casey's last season, the way the bench unit played, when they came in and they just killed teams. And they just picked them apart and they didn't have any kind of like, Oh, we're gonna throw it to this one guy, like he's gonna ISO like yeah, sure, like Fred Van Vliet can take guys off the dribble. Whatever, Kyle Lowry can take guys off the dribble and, and when he's playing with the bench, like sometimes that that's kind of his role to have a higher usage rate. But like th- that wasn't really how the team played. Like they did they never really got stagnant. Um I don't think I saw that word being used about this Raptors team really at all this year until the past week and a half. Mm-hmm. And that that to me has kind of been what has changed. And uh there were a few possessions against the Clippers even, um, where like they're late in the shot clock and nothing is uh really happened and then one guy is trying to go one on one against a really good perimeter defender and also like by the way you look at his four teammates and they're just kind of standing there and that, that's not who the Raptors are. Mm-hmm. And that's I think what probably bothers the coaching staff the most. And that's also what I think is kind of more responsible than for Pascal Siakam's numbers dropping than any kind of individual struggles. Like yeah he has missed some looks uh both from three point range and around the rim where you're like oh he kind of could have made that shot but I think it's more so like they don't really want to use Siakam like Kawhi Leonard and even with Kawhi Leonard when they had him Mm -hmm. the idea was not just you come down the court and you give him the ball like you, you do that late in the shot clock and you do that sometimes when nothing else is going and you just need to kind of slow things down and get a good look but ideally they wanted to kind of integrate him into a broader scheme that was based on ball movement that involved a lot of pick and roll that involved a lot of misdirection that allowed any anybody on the court to be a playmaker and in the second half of the year often involved their center being a playmaker. It was not just the the Kawhi show and I, I think Pascal Siakam is a very talented one on one player but if he's matched up against a good defender like we we've seen what like very elite defenders like Bam Adebayo and Jonathan Isaac uh, can, can do to him. And I think even if, like, you have somebody like a Mo Harkless who is not at their level, but then you also have really good defenders next to him and good help, like, you can see him looking a little awkward and uncomfortable. And I think indecisive was the word that you used. But, like, the idea is that you're not in that situation a hell of a lot. You don't want to look at Siakam to just bail you out. So it's kind of the, the broader offensive flow and rhythm and purpose and just kind of, like, that chemistry that, like, where everybody knows – where like how to read their teammates where everybody is on the move, just a threat from wherever they catch the ball, where they get into their offense quickly, where they're not having like little things go wrong where like somebody is losing the ball. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh crap. There's like 12 seconds on the shot clock. Let's make something happen. Like that happened a lot against the Clippers. Sometimes it's as simple as like, Oh, like, Oh, Marcus all happened to like fall down. Like Serge Ibaka <laughs> happened to like loses loses lose his footing. Like that happened on offense and on defense <laughs> against the Clippers. And I think, they they just sort of haven't looked as consistently sharp. Uh, sometimes that has been uh, a sort of something that's happened with the bench bench unit. Um, but even sometimes with with several starters in there, the zone defenses have thrown them off. Sometimes, mm-hmm. like I don't know. I just I, I think the Raptors need to run their system a little better and to to bring it back to to where we kind of started. This is like yes, I do think that part of the reason why they're having trouble at that area is because. They have spent so much energy all year on the defensive end, like mentally and physically. And then to also be sharp on the other end, like that is challenging. But this is what, like, this is what the Raptors challenge is. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner. And Locked
0: On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
2: Yeah, for sure. And on the topic of Siakam, like a lot of that flow and the sort of read and react and everything, it's been kind of missing, not just from Siakam's game, but from everybody. And I I think that has sort of, you know, it's like a feedback loop, right, where it then sort of hurts Siakam because it does become more of a one-on-one show and it does become more of a thing where, you know, I wrote a thing after the Jazz game where they completely destroyed Utah's pretty good defense and it was all about how, you know, there was the understanding from Siakam that you know, you know, Marcus is going to be spacing to a certain place and, and the help's going to be coming yep. from a certain position and, you know, OG's going to be cutting from a certain place and, and everyone's sort of in unison rotating on offense into the places you need to be in order for Siakam to either, you know, read where the the double's coming from and either sort of do the yo-yo thing where he keeps it away from a defender and scores going baseline, or he can pick it apart with his improved passing. And just sort of one... Faulty cog in that whole setup kind of makes that whole thing more difficult, right? Where, you know, with Fred out, it's Norm out there and Norm's basketball IQ is not nearly the same level as Fred and doesn't quite fit in the same way. He doesn't do the same things well that Fred does. He's not as good a spot up guy. And he, you know, will kind of take over possessions at times. And that sort of throws everything out of whack and out of sync. And then Lowry coming back in, like, in theory, my whole thinking was, okay, Siakam's so efficiency tailed off a little bit near the end of Lowry's absence. And that makes sense to me because of how much of a workload he's carrying and everything. And you would think that with right. Lowry coming back in – Everything will just be back on the silver platter once again, which it kind of was for the start of the year. And Anytime the Raptors got in trouble, it was, okay, Lowry, Siakam, pick and roll, boom, and something good is going to happen. And they haven't gone to that a ton lately. You know, there's been less Gasol up at the elbow. I don't know why these things are happening. It might just be the lack of energy, but it might just be that individual sort of pieces are souring the entire, you know, five-man operation just because they're playing poorly. And I think, you know, Lowry not shooting well. He he makes a couple extra threes. Things change very significantly. It's not like he's taking bad threes or anything like that. They're within the flow. You know, Abaka, you know, not missing every single bunny he takes would probably help things out as well. It seems like yeah. the, the there's a little bit less sort of confidence and understanding of what Rondé is supposed to do when he's in the game, and all of it kind of bleeds together. And, and I, I don't really know who the main source of it is. It feels like Abaka is sort of a, a big part of it. It feels like Norm is kind of a part of it, although Norm has been mostly very good. And, um, you know, I've liked, you know, he's kind of saved their asses in some segments of games where they've had nothing else going on offensively. But yeah. I, I think... The pieces are there, and the IQ is there, and just, like, the chemistry is there somewhere. And I think once these guys sort of shake off the rust, things will come back together, I would think, because they didn't get dumber at basketball. (laughs) Like, there's a lot of really smart guys on this team, and and I think it it won't take much, and we saw it for stretches against the Clippers. It won't take much for them to rediscover, like, oh, yeah, this is why we're so good, and this is what works. I think it's just a matter of sort of working through it, and those pieces that are kind of dragging everything down as an anchor – kind of getting back in the flow or maybe in the case of abaka like losing his minutes to chris boucher Like at this point it's not crazy considering how boucher was playing before abaka came back i know you can't really do that politics wise but you know i do think it's not they they're, they're pretty subtle things that are dragging down the whole operation that if you fix the one thing the whole kind of clock will get back into gear and motion and kind of work harmoniously once again yeah, and I mean, the, the the rotation has changed.
1: And yeah. naturally, like, there are going to be guys that have to adjust to that. Like, of course, Chris Boucher, like, there, there was a kind of a new kind of second unit that had been established, and it was basically Boucher and Rondé Hollis Jefferson and, and Terrence Davis coming in there, which, like, coming into the year, like, nobody had any idea that this was going to be a strong, like, three-man unit, right? And, like, mm. they're playing with different guys, the, the whole thing. Is a little bit different, and I think it, it, there's sort of a philosophical, almost discussion to be had here. Like when we're talking about, like, yeah, maybe the solution is like run more Lowry, Siakam pick and rolls, and and I I kind of like that. And the reason why I kind of like that is because that just adds a little bit more kind of structure and purpose to to what they're doing. I remember last year um, in in San Antonio when the Raptors went in there. And it was the I guess the last time Kawhi Leonard received a tribute video was very, very different uh, than than this time. And they just got absolutely blown out. And that was one of those those moments that almost a turning point in the Raptors season when they kind of got together and they were like something isn't quite working as well as as they had anticipated as well as they'd wanted to. And I remember Danny Green specifically talking about how like, yeah, freedom is nice, but, like, we need a little bit of structure, and it it was really funny to me that it was Danny Green talking about that, because when I did a feature on the the Raptors last year, like, I had talked to Danny uh, a lot for that, and he was a big part of it, because he was really liking the amount of freedom that he had, the latitude that that Nick gave to his players the kind of positionless way they approached offense. The way that I mean, they they were like fine within the regular season. At least postseason was very different, but in the regular season, they were fine with like Danny posting up, like Danny Green putting the ball on the floor, and everybody felt uh, kind of empowered. And that 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 was an environment that was put together. I think because like Nick Nerfs fundamentally believes that offenses should be unpredictable and he is the kind of guy that will compare offensive basketball to jazz music and like that that's that's what he wants he wants guys to be able to freelance he wants uh to be able to let guys go out there and stretch their game and if he needs to pull them back then he will but he doesn't want to be kind of putting handcuffs on them from the start but i i don't think like on a philosophical level uh that as much as like i am guilty of this and i think the media is sometimes guilty like fetishizing ball movement and pretty basketball because we like watching it. I don't think on a philosophical level, it is like inherently better than an offense with less movement where a great player who can just get an advantage out of thin air and can get a shot off against anyone and create high efficiency looks like sometimes you need that. And usually the best teams in the league, the true contenders have guys that can create something uh, when the offense bogs down, where nothing feels like it's it's going right. And I think every team in the NBA um, is trying to kind of balance how to get shots from a, a sort of systematic perspective versus how to to get them uh, just through individual brilliance and giving the ball to their best players. And the systems the teams around are dependent on that. And, I mean, we're going to get into the Nets later. And, like, they've had... An absolutely elite defense. Sorry, an elite offense without Kyrie Irving, because they spread the floor and they give Spencer Dinwiddie the ball. Mm -hmm. That's all they do. (laughs) They don't have this problem where they're playing this like beautiful, flowing like system where um, anybody can can make plays. Like I'm I'm not saying that like other guys don't make plays. Like Joe Harris can attack a closeout and can finish and can pass off the bounce. But like they're not starting possessions that way. You know what I mean? And and I think. the As much as we, we love to talk about the good stuff that comes out of a team that is so unselfish, that's so fun to watch. like I think if your team is built that way and it doesn't have the, the ability in the moment when that's not working, when it doesn't feel like they have the rhythm to, to go do it a different way, then you're vulnerable and you're vulnerable to long dry spells and like they didn't score for what the last four minutes to the third Mm -hmm. uh last night I don't I don't know how long the dry spell was in in the second quarter but but I think it was fairly uh not last night on Wednesday night but I think it was pretty significant in the second quarter too so I mean that 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 was the amazing luxury the Raptors had last year is like their offense could go totally dry and then they can say hey we have Kawhi Leonard on the team (laughs) they don't have that exact luxury anymore and Siakam is developing into that guy, but that takes time. And, and it doesn't it doesn't have to be an extreme like high level of like, you know, Kawhi Leonard might be the best player in the league. And it doesn't have to be that. Like yeah. Fred Van Vliet can sometimes be the guy that settles you that way. Yeah. Right? And that that's one of the areas in which I think they're they're missing him right now. And they're kind of looking for that balance. They're looking for that perfect balance to probably not never actually get to that perfect balance because they don't have Kawhi Leonard anymore, but I think they could still be. A, a top 10 offense for sure, like maybe like top 6, 7 offense without that because of what we saw earlier this season. It's just a matter of them finding that rhythm again and also probably getting that
2: lead back. Yeah, Fred's good uh, as it turns out. And yeah, I do think... <laughs> you know as much as there's a lot to be spoken about the the beauty of like a Marc gasol led offense where he's always making the extra pass and they are they're running a million different like staggered screens and it it, it does kind of sometimes end up looking like the worst of recent years like jazz ball where it's like all right let's run sets for 20 seconds uh-oh we ran all those sets and got nothing out of it now what well
1: that's what they're dealing with this year yeah yeah,
2: yeah. and it's, it's like
1: it's, it's not it's not working as well and like there, there's a possession that's the clip where like Ananobi ends up like making this like one-on-one play like with like six seven seconds left on the shot clock and it was like that was the only real like forward momentum the Raptors had mm-hmm. on that possession and it, it goes predictably like (laughs) not well yeah right and everybody's looking at it probably like oh like oh the, the Raptors just can't get anything going wow this is a mess and it's like well if that exact same possession happened last year but it was Kawhi Leonard with the ball in his hands in the same situation like you're not it's just different it just is
2: And that's why I'm kind of okay with the idea of, like, just kind of letting Siakam go through it a little bit and letting him take his lumps and having bad shooting and wonky, you know, efficiency lines just because, like, there is a lot to be said for having that dude who can go get that bucket when you need it and calm things down, and Siakam's not that guy yet, but the more reps he gets doing it, even in the face of perhaps some low inefficiency and some rough games and losses here and there in December, which don't matter at all... I think ultimately they'll be better off it, And I think that's sort of what people are losing sight of a little bit with this recent slump is this team was never really expected to be a 15-4, 67-pace win team that was going to be making it to the finals. And if you sort of take a step back and think, hey, they could kind of take their lumps here. And Siakam, I think, needs to sort of, you know, exercise his own agency in this, right? Like he's been inaggressive. He's been a little bit sort of weary of going up against tough defensive matchups. And I think the amount of burden that they're asking him to carry on the defensive end is certainly not helping that. And he's running around all the time. I mean, that was the, the Harden game where he was constantly the one having to rotate the most to make up for oh, yeah. the insane traps at half court. And then he just had nothing. There were times where he had James Harden on him. It was just like, I'm too tired to attack this. I'm not going to do that. And well, cause yeah, he's
1: often he's spending so much of his life guarding two people at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like that's what they've asked of him. And, yeah. and also, like, and by the way, like we're talking about the Clippers, like they're this flawless juggernaut that uh, is just in this amazing situation because they have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, but they're still working their stuff out too. Yeah. And if you go back and read the quotes from after their loss against the Bucks. And they're talking about how they're getting by just on talent because they're so good. And they need to play uh, with more of a defined identity where they're playing off of each other, where they're way more than the sum of their parts, where they know how to read each other. Like, I don't even think Paul George and Kawhi Leonard have super great chemistry yet on the offensive end. Like, I really don't. Mm-hmm. And I I think they have... Um, Obviously, championship level upside based on talent, but I think there's like unrealized upside there, from a chemistry based from a chemistry perspective. Just because Leonard and George have spent such a small amount of actual time together on the court, and like they're trying to get used to each other, like it, they're, they're trying to figure out uh, a similar thing to what the Raptors spent their season trying to figure out last year. And that that is having that balance where the offense is creating offense for you, and then um, when that is not working as well. Yeah. At that point, then you have just the individual guys creating shots for you. So I, I, I think even a team like that that is being held up as like oh like like I, I think it is very easy to look at that Clippers game and say this is the difference between uh, an elite team and a very good team,
2: yeah. right?
1: And like I, I'm not saying all of that stuff is entirely off base because like I do have the Clippers on a different tier than, than the Raptors.
2: As you um, should.
1: <laughs> but, yes, but but what I'm saying is I think even those those teams that sort of project as elite like they're trying to figure out a lot of the same stuff yeah. um and and it's it's always kind of a challenge and and I think that that is um that like that like in it itself is interesting to me because um the, the clippers over the course of the season um you know we, we you can just so easily look at their talent and say wow like they have so much defensive versatility they have so Um, many options on offense in terms of like, oh, they can run the Lou Williams, Montrez, pick and roll. And then, oh, you have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Just when they're out there, their defenders basically can't leave those guys. And they're naturally going to make each other better. All that stuff is true. Um, But I I think they're trying to get to a place where it all works seamlessly and they have more flow. Mm -hmm. And they don't actually have as many great passers as, say, a team like the Raptors do. They don't um, have as natural... a a kind of way for for their players to make each other better. And I I think superstars make their their teammates better anyway. And Kawhi Leonard, um, I think he showed last season uh, at various times throughout the year, but especially in the playoffs, that he is extremely good at reading the defense and knowing how to find open teammates. And he has built on that even more this year. Paul George is a very good passer too. Uh, But, I mean, Pat Beverly is not the dude that that you necessarily want like orchestrating an offense. Lou Williams the same thing. I don't think anybody until this year would have said, "Oh yeah, Kawhi Leonard is this like prototypical point forward." Like hmm. they have their own stuff. Like and and they're probably going to lean more in the direction of like superstars like creating mismatches and running pick and rolls and, and that type of thing. than being a team that relies on systematic basketball. But even within that, like chemistry is developed throughout the year. Where you are in April, May, and June matters way more than where you are in December. And and that's just the, the only point I want to make is like that obviously applies to the Raptors, but that actually also applies to the team that just blew them out.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's, I'm glad that you made the point that December basketball doesn't really matter uh, <laughs> as much as it is just <laughs> like for like it's it's for figuring out who you are. And especially for this Raptors team, which the entire point of this year was supposed to be figure out what it is. So that kind of goes back to my point of just like, you know, First of all, give Siakam a break. Don't have him run around like a maniac all the time. Sort of give him some more leeway to make mistakes and get messy, the things Miss Frizzle likes very much, and just, like, let him, like, let's figure out what he is, right? And, and, like, before making any assumptions of what he is, like, give him plenty of runway, plenty of reps to figure out what it is. And then, you know, like, I'm pretty confident that the, the flow of the offense is pretty easily... You know, regainable for the Raptors at any, t- at any point they try as well. And, and as soon as guys kind of get back up to speed and and Russ falls off and all that stuff, and then shots start falling, because look, they're not going to shoot 28% from three in every game as well, right? Like, this is also probably just like a really small sample, you know, spell of bad shooting that will snap back to somewhere closer to league average, not near the 40% they were at all year, but probably somewhere close to yeah. uh, above what, you know, Lance Stevenson shoot, shot from three as a, as a pro, right? Like, it's...
1: <laughs> I mean, Nurse got that tech, like, right after they had missed... Three open three pointers on the same <laughs> possession. Yeah. <laughs> Those were in rhythm, open shots, and they just they just didn't fall. And I think that can be a little bit demoralizing and that that can I mean that that can lead to fast breaks the other way. It can just kind of sap you of, of, of energy.
2: They're humans, man. They're humans. Um the Brooklyn Nets signed a pseudo human. In the offseason, <laughs> Kyrie Irving, uh, or maybe he's the most human person I, I there sure is. Whether you're
1: going to say Durant or Kyrie at that
2: point? Uh, Durant, I actually have come around on a little bit after his "How hungry are you?" appearance. Um, you know, okay. Kyrie still can't do it. <laughs> I, I, I can't listen to him speak. He's fun to watch, but also leads the league in uh, really cool moves that end in bricks. He's not playing right now. I, I don't. He's not going to play against the Raptors on Saturday, correct? Or is he online to come back?
1: he is not expected
2: to Okay. Play. So the, the,
1: the Nets mind you have been very sort of vague about his injury the right. entire time. Yeah. So if he magically comes back one of these days with like no notice whatsoever <laughs> like don't blame me like they have been very weird about this.
2: Yeah. So the Nets are uh, sort of floating around like they're seventh right now, like a little bit above 500 Spencer Dinwiddie's going off. Um I I kind of think they offer a bit of a a nice soft landing pad for the Raptors after a really tough five games of the schedule, plus the Bulls. Um, And I kind of think, like, the Nets defense probably offers quite an opportunity for the Raptors to find that flow they've been looking for. Like, I don't know who's guarding Pascal in this game. Torian Prince, sure, good luck. I I don't think anyone's going to have a good time with it. Um, So for people who maybe haven't watched the Nets a ton, I'll be honest, I haven't watched the Nets a ton because, frankly, I don't care. And the court, the gray court is... (laughs) just atrocious to look at so i find myself flipping over to other games that don't burn my eyes whenever i uh, turn a game on that the nets are playing um but for people who haven't seen them much what should people look for how good is spencer dinwiddie all of a sudden does deandre Dor- jordan still suck uh what is uh what's the deal with the nets is my question to you james
1: yeah, Jordan. Jordan, by the way, looked awful at the beginning of the year. He's had his moments though. Um, in, in the past few weeks, he, I think on balance he's been a little better than than I expected this year. But the the thing about both Jordan and Jared Allen is they're just like chained to the paint. So if you're looking for just completely wide open mid range shots, uh, you can get that against this team. If you're looking for off the dribble threes, a lot of the times you can get that on this team uh, against this team. Devonte Graham just. Like lit them up for forty points, uh, and the Hornets came back from down twenty uh, to to steal a game of Barclays uh, the other night. Which when when you guys were watching Clippers Raptors, that that's where I was. Uh, and I think if this is really like to me, it's an opportunity for for Lowry to kind of find his rhythm. Like Spencer Dinwiddie is a pretty good individual defender, but if you're just if you're running high pick and rolls, um, you can often just kind of step into shots. Uh, against this this Nets team, like they they are quite good at protecting the, at the rim. They're quite good at defending the paint, uh, but they they play a conservative scheme. They don't force a lot of turnovers, and teams can get comfortable against them. Uh, they've they've actually been a little bit more aggressive on that end since the Irving injury. Uh, they they had some lineups where they're throwing out like Iman Shumpert, who they just actually waved, so you're not going to see him. But when they had like Schumpert, like David Nwaba, who comes off the bench, and like Garrett Temple or Theo Pinson, like these guys um, are a little bit more aggressive perimeter defenders. But but even then, like even when they're applying more ball pressure, like if you get past the first guy, like the, there's there's this sort of swath of space uh, that that will be available to you um, if if you don't ha- if you um, have some shooters surrounding them. Uh, because Jared Allen's just going to be in the paint, or DeAndre Jordan's going to be in the paint. So the the other the help, if there is any, is going to come from the wing, and if that happens, then you kind of just have open shots. So uh, I, the Nets defense is good from a perspective of, like, the type of shots that they tend to give up. Like, their shot profile defensively is, like, really good throughout the entire Kenny Atkinson era. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of, like, limiting in-rhythm shots, limiting... Uh, uncontested shots, like, th- that is where they have struggled throughout, not just this year, but again, the entire Kenny era. And, and the same goes for forcing turnovers. So when we're talking about finding offensive flow, I do think it is a pretty good opportunity for Toronto, but I would also warn, like, don't take the Nets lightly. Like, they they are a team that knows exactly who they are. Um, They, they especially the, this starting unit, or really just any unit when Dinwiddie is on the floor, they can get hot. They can be Really hard to stop. Like, uh, you can describe them as predictable, but you can also describe their offense as kind of elegant because uh, a lot of the time they're just running side pick and rolls or or high pick and rolls, and Dinwiddie has the ball in his hands. And if you trap him, uh, which I'm sure the Raptors will do, uh, (laughs) he is quite good at recognizing that um, and reacting to that and finding open shooters. And the Nets do have. Pretty decent shooters on this team, especially with the starting lineup. You you never want to leave Joe Harris open. Torian Prince has evolved into uh, a very good shooter. Um, and then the other thing is like Jared Allen. Like if if you don't have somebody putting a body on him, like it it's kind of lob city. Like he's he's throwing down lots of values. He's an excellent offensive rebounder. Uh, the Nets, I believe, get to into the paint. More than any other team in the league, they basically never take mid-range shots now that Kyrie is hurt. Um, so once they get downhill on you, it, they are really tough. They, they beat Denver uh, last week in a fashion where like the the Nuggets were very focused on limiting their three-point shots. And the Nets were like, okay, like Spencer Dinwiddie is like just getting to the rim every time. And he killed them that way. And if, if he wasn't scoring, then he was dishing it to Allen or a cutter and they, they were scoring at the rim. So uh, the, the Raptors defense will be challenged in that way. This is a team that is quite hard to play against just because of the, the very basic, again, I'd use the word elegant challenge of um, protecting the rim and then closing out to the perimeter. Like they are a very 2019 basketball team.
2: Yeah, I mean, you don't got to tell me how fucking annoying the Nets are. Uh, You know, <laughs> fuck Brooklyn and all that. They, I mean, the Nets, and like especially without Kyrie, and I know Dinwiddie's very good, but they have always kind of played, like, lottery ball, right? Like, it's, oh, we'll play high variation because we're not particularly talented, but if we bomb enough threes on your ass, then we can maybe win a game. Um, and that seems to be kind of what you're describing with the way they play defense as well. And, and so... I yeah, you can't take them lightly for sure because they're hella annoying. I I do think you know if there's a team that's been really good at the rim defending this season, and you know might have a body to throw on Jared Allen, you know the team with Mark Gasol on it probably is one that you want to be. Um and yes. like at the at their best this season and before this last little stretch of being a little bit tired and weary. They've been really good at both protecting the rim and rotating out, and that was why they were so damn good against, like, the Lakers and uh, in the first Clippers game and all that stuff. So uh, they have it in them. Whether or not they have the legs, they got a couple days off here, thankfully. They're they're at home, and maybe they have a shot to... uh, have a bit more of a spry defense performance, or maybe they just play one-on-one and have Kyle Lowry guard Spencer Dinwiddie and hope everything else works from there or throw OG on Dinwiddie. That would be fun. I I miss OG on point guards. It it rules and we don't get to see it. Throw Rondé on him.
1: Do whatever. Yeah, (laughs) Rondé. By the way. uh, I mean, that's the beauty of the Raptors. Yeah. They they can do all that stuff. The thing about the Nets, it's like the Raptors, if they just destroy the Nets bench, then they'll be fine. Yeah. And the, the Nets bench, like when Dinwiddie has been off the court, by and large, since Irving's injury, the Nets have been atrocious. Like, mm-hmm. the worst offense, like, something like 96 for 100 or something. I haven't looked it up in the past couple of days, but, like, somewhere around there, uh, which is significantly worse than the worst offense in the league, like, when they don't have Dinwiddie or Kyrie Irving on the court this season. But, like, you see the odd stretch where he goes to the bench, and they just kind of cobble together enough. Like, in a, in a game against... <coughs> excuse me. In a game against Miami... Uh, the Nets got really good minutes out of a non-Dinwiddie unit in the second half. They end up losing the game anyway because Dan Adebayo and Jimmy Butler made some, like, amazing defensive plays uh, down the stretch, and Jimmy got to the line, whatever. We don't need to get into the minutia of this, this random Nets loss. But <laughs> my point is that, like, there have been, like, random times uh, in, in the past few weeks, like, generally in Nets wins but also in that loss where Dinwiddie goes to the bench and they're actually fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, to me, your best bet... Of uh, getting a comfortable win against Brooklyn is like for those you know it, it might only be 10 minutes or whatever but for those 10 minutes just like blow them out because yeah. that that is where the Nets have really really struggled like they're, they're a team that does not have a lot of playmaking because they were built for Kyrie mm-hmm. Irving, Karis Levert and Spencer Dinwiddie to handle the lion's share of their playmaking duties and two of those guys are not going to be playing
2: yeah, that's interesting because, uh, you know, the I lost my train of thought. <laughs> no, the Raptors bench has been a little bit, uh, you know, since Sabaka came back that they've been suspect. And the Lowry and bench units, which typically are amazing, have been a little bit sticky and haven't had a ton of space because you got Rondé out there and you've got... Uh, yep. Terrence Davis, who you know has never seen a three he didn't want to take, but has been a little bit on the regression tip a little bit lately. Um, interesting stuff. Excited to see uh, sort of how this game goes. I'm excited for a Rondé revenge game. It, it baffles me Possible. that the Nets couldn't have used Rondé, and I know Rondé wasn't quite this useful last season at a lot of moments, but um, man, he's... Like it seems really weird that the team that's not super good at defense and that is kind well, of light on the wing could have just like defense didn't was not the
1: problem with Rondé Hollis, Jefferson and Brooklyn. Let me, let me be very clear. Yeah, so uh, they, I'm saying the Nets they always could use loved him. His defense, they always yeah. loved his energy. I, I think this again, like think about the t- type of offense that I'm describing here. Like if he's not at center, yeah, like th- he is standing on the perimeter. And other teams are completely ignoring him. And, like, that's not to say he's can't cut or anything like that. And he, like you have seen in Toronto, he is quite a good cutter. He has had to be um, because he is otherwise kind of ignored. Uh, but it, it was just always hard for them to play the way they wanted to play offensively with him on the court. And they did end up in situations where they would use him as a small ball five. But then, like, if you're doing that, like, okay, he's an extremely versatile defender, but he's not the best like paint protector he's not the biggest guy and he's also not like a natural like rim runner or like a guy that's going to set like crushing screens or anything like that so he was sort of uh, a man without a position and a guy that didn't really fit within the context of like what they wanted to do offensively and and you could see it too like you could you could see in Brooklyn when the ball would come to him on, on the perimeter and you would kind of see him hesitating in real time and see him thinking about like, do I want to take this or do I not? I'm not sure. And uh, I think he's an emotional guy. I think you've seen that already. If you've listened to his quotes in in Toronto and I think his confidence can, can be a little bit shaky and he doesn't, he has a very weird form in his jumper. But I think another part of the problem with the jumper is that he doesn't shoot it exactly the same every single time. And I think he can get his own head and he was a guy that by the end of his Brooklyn tenure, I wasn't really sure what what to make of him. I didn't know what his NBA future was going to be because like he is so fun to watch when he is running and getting stops and getting out in transition and like getting offensive rebounds and tip and tippins and like he he can get the occasional like nice assist and all that stuff. And he's like he looks like he's really having fun when he's doing that. But when it goes the other way, like you could be like, oh, is this just like a broken player? Like it, it could be actually like literally hard to watch. And, like, at the beginning of the year when Nick Nurse didn't have confidence in him and when, like, I mean, we're going back to the preseason and then him basically not being in the rotation at the beginning of the regular season, like, I was kind of worried. I was like, where is this going? Yeah. Uh, and and that that is, like, something that I was thinking despite the fact that I knew he can guard literally all five positions. Mm-hmm. He's an absolutely elite defender. Um, but it's just, it's really hard to be a, a non-center and honestly, even to be a center in today's NBA, if opposing teams just don't have to guard you.
2: Yeah, very fair. Uh, and also, I think that's a sneaky reason as to why things have been a little bit ish- iffy with uh, with Ibaka and him, because Ibaka kind of takes up that center role, and is probably better there, and he's kind of a better playmaker in those situations too, and Ibaka's spacing is not exactly thrilling stuff either. And so... Um maybe that's why we've seen a little bit less Ronde lately which uh, I hope we see more of him. Revenge game baby. He's going to go and be yes. be the center and uh, do wonderful things ideally against the He, he has Mets. been
1: great to watch since he got into the rotation. He oh, he's such a month. delight. Like, it he's it so been wacky. A, a wonderful
2: story. Just yeah. a wacky weirdo. Uh love him. <laughs> yeah, just the best. Falls down more than any player I think I've ever watched and uh, I'm here for that. James I'm here for this conversation. This was fun, dude. Thanks for uh, taking like an hour of your day to just shoot the shit with me. And I I thought it was going to be like half hour, but man, I could talk to you this all what day. This
1: is you say after every time we talk. I, I know.
2: Ramble on. But that's good. You don't ramble on. You just have good things to say. And that's nice. I, is that That's a nice change of pace from the shows I do solo or anything like that because I have nothing to say. Uh, <laughs> but thank you for coming on, dude. Uh, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Anything you've ri- written written recently that people should know about? Uh, if you if you like Celtics
1: role players, like <laughs> like so, the wrong. Like, this is the the, the podcast with this. the
2: audience that least likes Celtics role players. I think in I, the entire I world.
1: <laughs> well, I, I mean, I've actually written well one lengthy profile of a Celtics role player, Grant Williams, earlier this year. But th- uh, yesterday, uh, I put up an additional story about a Celtics role player. Uh, not not quite as in depth, but a story about. Uh, Brad Wanamaker and his crazy uh, sort of long road he took uh, to becoming aforementioned Celtics role player and a contributing player uh, on a pretty good team in the NBA. So that's my latest feature. I have a weekly column called That's Pretty Interesting. Um, Probably due to write about the Raptors again soon. I haven't checked in on them in in detail in a while, but uh, I'll I'll let you know when that happens and maybe we can chat again.
2: Sounds good. Yeah, I don't think it'll be seven months between conversations, I hope. Uh, I hope not. Yeah, if it is, I've done something wrong in my (laughs) my producing side of the podcast, and it's not on you at all. Uh, Thanks so much for coming on, man. Uh, Have a wonderful holiday. If I don't uh, see, I'm sure you'll be in Toronto at some point in the near future to do your job. Uh, (laughs) And uh, I I will will see
1: you in Toronto in the next couple of months.
2: Lovely. Can't wait for that. Uh, Outside the NBA on Twitter, uh, CBS Sports, uh, CBS Sports HQ, looking good. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, you can find me at Woodley Sean. Subscribe, rate, review, all the places you get your podcasts, obviously. Uh, check out the entire Locked On Network. We've got lots of great stuff for you. And if you have yet to purchase it, please buy We the Champs. I'm going to keep shilling for the book that myself and Alex Wong wrote about the title and the title run and all that stuff ahead of Christmas because it's a really great Secret Santa gift. It's a really great way to stay under your office limit for how much you're allowed to spend. And uh, I would appreciate you picking it up. So thanks in advance for doing that. And uh, everyone, have a fantastic weekend. Fuck Brooklyn. And we will talk to you on Monday (laughs) with another episode of Locked on Raptors.
0: Hey, Prime members.